now, your host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTag Games Podcast, where we explore the strange worlds of the TriTag Games and some of their other games that they've gotten from other companies, like Stellar Games. We're continuing our exploration of the Big Bad that we started last week. We're going to continue talking about the Big Bad and some of the other less-known games and how you can use them to really make those games special, give you a good reason to start a new campaign in those games. The person we have who is our best expert on those games and the Stellar games is Trav. And so we're going to have him ramrod that. But before we do that, we're going to hit one uh, of the lesser uh, known TriTac games, and that is Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Beach Bunny Bimbos is a game where your team or your group, I should say, is a bunch of young people living on the beach, usually California, around Venice Beach, that kind of area. It can be done in modern day, or you can push it back into the 80s if you want that kind of a big hair, beach feel, or even all the way back to the 60s. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that you are a bunch of good friends who all rally around the beach culture, and you enjoy seeing each other. And then right in the middle of your big endless summer, something happens. Earth gets invaded. It gets invaded by Martians. Now, these aren't your Martians in the tripods. No, no, no. These are your more surreptitious Martians. These Martians are trying to fit into our culture, take over important positions, replace us. And they do this in a number of ways. But one of the big ways that they do it is apparently they have some kind of mind-affecting field around them that make them look just like you and me, except for the fact that they tend to dress in really oddly. They seem to really like polyester. They seem to like all kinds of kishy-type stuff. And they don't look anything like they are, which are about maybe four and a half foot tall, big bulgy heads, bulgy eyes. They don't look like that at all. They look like you and me. Now, I thought they actually wore human skin. That's the second thing that they do. Ah. I guess under certain circumstances, they have to be really sure that they're carrying off the masquerade. What they'll do is they'll take a human being and they'll gut him out and they'll shove a Martian inside. That Martian will just run him like a meat puppet. That disguise is pretty much impenetrable unless you put him under an X-ray or a sonogram or something like that. I don't know. It's sort of like a, a mixed mash of Earth Girls are easy and Mars attacks. More like the blob, your 50s you know, blob. This is supposed to be a very lighthearted game. It's kind of like all the monster and vampire films and the zombie films where you just have this group of people who just suddenly run into something really bizarro and nobody believes them when they try to tell the police about it right you're supposed to really just fully engage with the whole beach culture every night's a party you live for the weekend and everybody's beautiful and toned there may or may not be lots of premarital sex going on it's just whatever kind of movie you're modeling it after so it's like war of the worlds meets frankie avalon yeah really it is it's supposed to be very lighthearted in that sense the GM's got to be very careful when he plays the game because there's a number of elements in the game which are very lethal. You're gutting people out and sticking aliens inside. So that's not really a lighthearted thing. If you thought about the Goonies all grown up, okay. right? <laughs> there was some real you know, nefarious and, and scary elements in it, but at the same time, nothing ever was too much. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You never see the Martians do their business on screen. Right. 
It's usually somebody in authority or somebody important suddenly disappears for a while and then comes back and acting all, no, there's no Martians. What are you talking about? Hey, you like my new polyester suit? (laughs) (laughs) You darn kids, get out of here before I go and and pass some ordinance having curfew at 7 p.m. kind of thing. So if I wanted to play a character and use Bob Denver as my picture, I'd be right on board, huh? Because Bob Denver actually starred in a couple of those beach bimbo movies. Um... Yeah. That's right. He also was Maynard Krebs. Maynard yeah. Krebs. <laughs> yeah. Night of the Comet is also excellent resource. And The Breakfast Club. Yeah, the idea is that you're a bunch of friends and you're having to deal with this thing because nobody else is taking it seriously. Uh, now, your big secret weapon in the whole deal are the Beach Bunny Bimbos. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, a Beach Bunny Bimbo does not have to be a girl. All right, for, let's put that right off. Okay? <laughs> Bimbo, historically, he was a famous clown. So it's been turned around to mean some girl who's an airhead, but it really can be anybody who basically lives in a kind of an alternate reality where, you know, life is easy and everybody likes you and usually you're very, very attractive and you just kind of, you know, bounce your way through life. And, and, and everything's fine because they never get over 25 years of age. You've got that amazing 16 to 25-year period. This is a whole lifetime. Right. Yeah. You know? So the Beast Bunny bimbos, you see, they are the secret weapons because they are unaffected by the Martians' mental shield. They make the, their camouflage. And the tacit reason why they are unaffected is that they have no minds to affect. <laughs> <laughs> They have the special bimbo sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're the ones that are coming up and saying, oh, this, this really grody guy over there, he's, he's all weird and, and stuff, and his head's the wrong shape, and he's wearing polyester. I think he must be a Martian. Oh, okay. Bruce, one of my first really serious girlfriends would save me in that situation. <laughs> if I could just listen to her. Right. <laughs> and, and because these people are so attractive and so popular – you kind of go along with them until you find out, in fact, is is that they're telling you the uh, honest truth. The truth is stranger than fiction. And who would have thought? They're, they were right all along. They're always vindicated, you know, no matter what their crazy notions are. And this is really good to have a player to play the Beach Bunny Bimbo to come up with the wildest, craziest notions. Mm-hmm. The closest person I ever saw to that was J.P. Withers. Oh, the real person? The real person that we turned into an actual character in Bureau 13. But JP was really a kind of a, a wild child as a teen. And one day I ran an adventure for him. And halfway through the adventure, he stood up and he said, I know what it is. They're cyborg Nazi aliens from Mars. That's what they are. Tell me, Bruce. Tell me it's true. <laughs> so I said, yes, JP, you're absolutely right. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, you should always go with what the Beach Bunny tells you if you're the GM, because it's probably going to be a much better idea. That's the premise. They've got a lot of different aliens in the game. They've they've got your standard furries, furry cats, which are you know these humanoid type cats. They have this like giant bat-like mosquito that plunges his proboscis into you, paralyzes you, and then plants an alien in your gut. Oh, the fly bats. Fly bats, right? That's disgusting. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's some seriously nasty stuff in the game, so you got to be real careful that it only happens to the non-PC characters. 
Ah, but don't forget there's the Venusian heavy metal warriors who are on the side of Earth. That are on the side of Earth. And so they're going to show up at some point and really, you know, kick it up a couple of notches. They're big into metal piercings and armor, leather and metal. I mean. And kissed. Most of the guys you see on. It's the biker TV show. Sons of Anarchy. On the TV show Sons of the Anarchy, most of the really heavy guys. That's what the Venusians look like, <laughs> okay? Just, you know, put a lot of piercings on them, throw a law missile over their shoulder and, you know, fill their pockets full of grenades, a lot of long dusters to cover any alien misshapings, and you're ready to go with Venusians. Well, Venusians never look like, like giant gray mushrooms. Uh, when I ran them in some of the games that I did, they just looked like really heavy, ugly death metal rockers. Yeah. I, I just kind of ignored the whole mushroom aspect of it. I mean, what they are on the inside, no, you know, until you blow them apart, nobody sees that. <laughs> yeah. There's also the big brains. They're the ones that started the invasion. Right. They have all these idiot Martians on board, and they said, hey, go invade Earth. Leave us alone. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, John, would they be the big bad in the game, or would there be something even worse than them? The ones that are going to be your problem are probably not the Martians. It's going to be the humans who decided to, well, hey, we can cash in on this. Human traitors. They're the ones who are going to be your problem. They're the ones that actually think the Martians are cool. And they want to be in their party, and they're going to help the Martians out. And they usually have a bit more brain power than the Martians do. So they're the ones you're going to worry about. So the big bad, you think, are going to be some kind of Earth splinter group that is collaborating with the Martians, but in fact, ultimately is going to try to take over the, the whole thing. They're the ones that are going to be able to get their hands on the plutonium and put it together into a real bomb and try to set things off so that the Martians can actually win. Because, you know, the Martians don't really want to win, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they don't want to win. I mean, the big b brains want to win, but all the Martians that are on Earth, they realize that things are so much better on Earth than they are on Mars. They almost immediately get into the suburbia. They buy the house, they get the car, they put the pink flamingos out on the front lawn, they got the pool in the back, they got the grill going. <laughs> you know, this is the life for them. So is it fair to say that when you're playing that, a Martian could conceivably help you just to prolong his life there on Earth? Like, could you have traitor Martians? Would that be something that would be realistic? I don't know if a Martian would ever actively be a traitor. I think it's more along the lines where, you know, you find a Martian who might, you know, be so enamored with watching the latest episode of Buffy that instead of watching the security monitor, he's actually watching the television. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure that ultimately you're going to have some Martians who will throw their hand in with the humans Especially if, at the end, as you said, the big bad turns out to be some human collaborator splinter group who's trying to screw it all up and actually win this battle for the big brains and for their, their, their group and just screw it up for all the Martians who are just living the good life here on Earth. So, yeah, I can, yeah. So that would be the great turnaround at the end where the Martians actually you know, throw their hands in with the Beach Bunny. and the. I actually have three groups. I have the Beach Bunny Bimbos, I have the Beach Dudes, and I have the Beach Babes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how you fall into this group. What is the ultimate goal of the Martians? Is it to kill everybody on Earth? Is it to move to Earth? Is it to, I mean, what is their, what are they trying to do? I think it's just standard world domination, that kind of amorphous kind of concept. Right, right. Normal Martians 
breed like rabbits. They found Earth is a good place to get rid of the excess population. They want to take Earth over. Do they want to kill out the humans? I didn't say take over. They found Earth is a great place to get rid of the excess population. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Different pro- proposition altogether. Now, the Martians themselves, the ones who are being dumped on Earth, may actually, you know, want to take over or at least try to fit in, but their idea of fitting in is to get you out and wear your skin. Let's just clarify this. As you're playing this, what would be the goal of your big bad? You're playing a beach bimbo, or as we like to call the, the male version at the himbos. <laughs> you're, playing, so you're playing a couple bimbos and himbos, and you go up against the big bad. What is he doing, and would you be doing to counteract that? Well, if it's a human big bad, then he, he's basically trying to get a hold of Martian technology so he can actually turn around and take over the Earth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, world domination for sure. Okay, so that would be a human big bad. What about a Martian big bad? Yeah, well, big brains simply want a simple life in the suburbs, a condo and a good job in a mega, mega corporation. You're talking about the big brains here on Earth. In fact, they may even help you get rid of the uh, lower Martians. Okay, but I'm saying, what would the big bad of a Martian be? He'd be the guy who's been signing the checks shipping Martians to Earth. Okay. His goal is to is reduce the population pressures on Mars. You would actually encounter him on Mars, maybe, or... It could be that the big bad has decided that the rate in which the excess population is being sent to Earth is way, way too low, and all of a sudden these huge galactic freighters show up, and they start disgorging millions of Martians with no plans for providing them with any food or anything like that, and they start falling on the Earth like ravenous hordes. Like for an adventure... You would find out that that's his plan, and then the adventure would be to stop him from doing that. First of all, understand that the Martians, they're not humans, and they don't see humans as real people. Right. Therefore, they don't mind gutting a human. Of course, right. They're not terribly careful about each other either. Life is cheap on Mars Okay. if you're not a big brain. They're pretty amoral. These are also be your big, you know, day traders and the guys that run in Ponzi schemes, adding themselves to the ranks of the local crime lords because they have no compunctions against getting involved in racketeering and all kinds of um, bunko type trade. So they're essentially amoral because they don't have human morals. Because they don't see humans as real people. Right, 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 right. You know, we're just monkeys that learned how to talk. Okay, well, we pretty much are. <laughs> <laughs> And that's one reason why uh, I think the collaborators at one point might decide to kind of take things in their own hands because ultimately, you know, unless they really believe that the Martians have some kind of great plan that's going to make them the rulers of the world, that's the only reason why they would collaborate, really. Unless, of course, they really, really hate in general. I mean, there are people out there that really, really hate their own species. Anyways, like I said, lighthearted. The big bad, whatever he is, no matter whether it's human or big brain or possibly even the Venusians. The Venusians, they're our allies, but when it comes time to make the big offensive against Mars, they might want to come in and press some people into service as, as shock troops, too. Mm-hmm. All the nice guy that you've been talking to all this time who's been providing you with all kinds of really good, you know, high-powered weapons might right. suddenly say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, I put your names in. You guys are all, like, in, in part of the troops. The boss is showing up, and you better get in the line. It might turn serious in that regard, too. As we said in last week, the big bad, even though it can be used to drive adventures, but when the big bad finally shows up, it really should be the campaign end. So this is really kind of how you cap your story. 
Okay. So whichever big bad you choose, it should be kind of driven by the kind of adventures you've been running. You definitely shouldn't have the big bad show up as a total surprise because then there's been no anticipation. Nobody knows who he is. You're going to have to spend three or four adventures just for understanding who the big bad is. And oh, yeah. I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's something that should be built into the campaign from the beginning, assuming that you're going to do it. You know, I mean, some people, they consider the game too lighthearted to run as a full campaign. It's more of a kind of a one-shot or a small story arc kind of thing. And you don't need a big bad for that. But if you really want to go full-blown, then it definitely should be something that you develop. Directives come. You find evidence that there's somebody really nasty out there that, you know, that you didn't know about. When I ran a demo of it at Gen Con, I actually placed uh, it in the uh, Bureau 13 world. You know, the big bad could be anybody that we've already talked about as being in, you know, the a Bureau 13 big bad. So here you are fighting the Martians, and all of a sudden you turn around and, and there's like the demon lord of the abyss suddenly getting involved into the thing. You can do that too. That's where you just say, and the hits just keep on coming, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the game itself is is oriented primarily towards science fiction, pulpish science fiction, not supernatural. But that's up to you what you want to do. It's not something you would run a long campaign, like a year-long campaign or anything on. It's a fun game. You do a couple one-shots, maybe a couple months or something like that. But it's not inconceivable to say that you could make a long campaign out of it. It would just be a little bit of work and a little bit of imagination. And you'd have to have the right players. It's going to be driven primarily by the characters themselves. I see this as being a very character-centric game. Yeah, right? and also I can see this one, if you are going to do a, a long campaign, and we do see, as Bruce suggested, that massive influx of Martians, you could actually, this could morph into a different kind of game. It could turn into an alienation, only it's uh, more like uh, District 9. Does the system support like a long campaign, or is it a very, very simplistic system? The system itself is a very generic system that comes with it. So you might much more like just using the, the concept of the game, using another system with it. You know, like D20 uh, Modern or, uh, or Savage Worlds, both of them would work fine with it. The system isn't married to the game, is what I'm trying, really trying to say. So this would be a good one for, like, say, Savage Worlds, because it's a fast and easy system. And damage is fairly easily shaken off, and you're going to want that because you know you're going to get into a tussle and and it's going to be over, and you want these guys to basically just take a breather and then just keep moving on as if nothing's happened, which you could do in Savage Worlds. You heal at the speed of plot. In the near future, mankind will discover something that will change him forever: an ancient portal system to millions of worlds, built by a civilization. Advanced alien beings now lost to the ravages of an interdimensional war. You will venture forth into the fringes of space and time to find alternate Earths and alien worlds, where he will find the wondrous bounty of knowledge as to who he was and what he might become. He will also find danger at every turn as he encounters hostile societies, alien beings, and the insidious Miller. Fringeworthy. Tabletop game of interdimensional adventure is now available for a D20 system and coming soon to Savage Worlds. Action and adventure await you as you explore through the interdimensional fringes of space to an infinite number of new worlds. Your characters will face danger and excitement around every corner. Sail with Blackbeard on the Seven Seas. Journey to a steampunk Victorian age. Fight the Soviets in an 80s America that lost the Cold War. 
travel to an alternate future and witness a supernova from the bridge of a starship, and then battle it out with blasters and plasma swords. Use any D20 setting you already own, or invent your own. Check out the French Witty Podcast at tritaxsystems.podbean.com to find out more. Whether you've never heard of Fringeworthy or have been playing it for the past 25 years, the Fringeworthy Podcast will entertain and inform you of all the cool stuff you can do with the most all-encompassing setting ever written. Every week, we'll take you on a tour of the fringes of space and give you tips on how to game in this fantastic multiverse. We discuss adventure ideas for the game masters and how to keep your team of characters alive for the players. Go to tritacsystems.podbean.com and take a listen. You can also find us on iTunes under keyword Fringeworthy. A million, million worlds await you. Music by Ernster, available on iTunes. So let's move on to Stellar Games. Tritac picked up this whole line of Stellar Games when Stellar Games went under, and they provide them on PDS for anyone who wants to get them. So any of you people out there who said, oh, man, I, I love those Stellar Games. I wish I could get them, because, but they're no longer in print. Well, they are in print in the sense that you can get a PDF of them for a very reasonable price. All you have to do is go to www.tritacgames.com and... Order yourself up a couple of discs. But the person that we have who's the most knowledgeable about those is our buddy Trav. So Trav, tell us about Stellar Games and the big bads we can have in them. Okay, the first game is Nightlife. Now, Rich the Hulk himself described this as Bureau 13 from the monster's point of view. You are of the kin. These include vampires, werewolves, ghosts, Animates, which are basically either your, and I have always trouble with this word, homunculi or Frankenstein-type monsters, reanimated dead bodies who are now back in the public eye. and Well, not in the public eye, but I mean they're living a life again, even if on the fringes. And the kin, they have various factions. There are two main factions. There is the commune and the complex. From what I see here, the commune is the good guys. They think that the kin and humanity should exist together. The complex, well, not so much. The complex are, we want to subjugate humanity by any means possible. And there are several factions that go about different means of that. A big bad that you could use of the commune, they call themselves the Failsafe Coalition, a splinter group of the commune whose beliefs are considered too radical by the mainstream members of the commune. If mankind did not have some form of control placed on it, it would soon destroy itself and take the kin with it into oblivion. They became that control. Now, nightlife, you play these vampires and werewolves and whatnot. There's a supplement called Musical Vein. You could actually play a vampire rock band as player characters. That is a nod to the Anne Rice book, The Vampire Lestat, where he becomes a rock star. Or you could just be a vigilante, or you could play a criminal, or corporate board member, anything, but you're a supernatural being. That is the main thing in the campaign. Some of the big bads in this campaign, you may start off playing, let's say, a vampire rock campaign. You have a battle of the bands type thing, and you go up against another band. You beat them, and then you find out that that band is being backed by a businessman who has an agenda with this music or whatever. There's your big bad for that. Or the complex, which basically they want to subjugate humanity. 
They are looking to put them under their thumb, use them as chattel or whatever. The Morningstar Corporation, they're looking for financial chaos on a world scale, and they use their longevity and what they've learned over the centuries to go about that. It's rumored that the Wall Street crash in 1929 was brought about partially by the influence of Morningstar. Multinational corporation is always good, big, bad in a modern day campaign because they have near infinite resources, near infinite personnel, hidden agendas, secret cabal star chamber type stuff that they're going to try to spring on you. You can always throw red herrings at your players with this. There's Red Moonrise, which are like vampire gangs. They're like an aggregate of them. And they will sit there and just cause mayhem and chaos. And they've made a name for themselves. And so if you're in a street-level nightlife campaign, you can do, okay, we're a gang and we're just defending our own territory. Red Moonrise is coming in. They're trying to take our territory. And then you find out, no, it's not just one gang. It's several gangs. And you fight your way up to the big boss who might be the leader of those particular cells. Nightlife, the original book, is based in the middle of this decade, New York City, Manhattan, even though the game was made in, like, the 90s. So they put it in a far future to allow for a little bit of advancement. So Red Moon Rise is another really good big bad. Oh, here's a good one. Your career as a kin, your life as a kin begins most likely when you lose your life. There are some people who would not take that very well. Lord knows if I were to die, I'd be a little unhinged. They have a group that is sort of collectively known as the Laughter Factory. These are the kin that didn't handle that whole dying thing very well. (laughs) And basically, you have your insane werewolves, your slavering vampires, you know, your shambling Frankenstein monster type things. Because the mind just, well, the cheese went off the cracker completely. So they're trying to get the last laugh on everybody, huh? Nightlife can be played somewhat lighthearted, depending on the type of character you play. The Laughter Factory, I would be using them if you wanted to play a more mature campaign. We're talking psychopathic slashers, and you're finding all sorts of nasty, you know, like Jack the Ripper type stuff in modern-day Manhattan. The Laughter Factory would be a real good big bad for them, because even though there's no hierarchy... There's always going to be a pecking order. The most sadistic SOB out there is going to be the one running the show. And you can have that as like just a vampire who just snapped and he's commanding out of fear. Your player characters are doing whatever and all of a sudden you're seeing homeless people being taken. Then you find out, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger until you meet with the main yuck as they put him. The derogatory term for the laughter factories are the yucks. They're called that by the members of the other factions, the Morningstar Corporation, the Commune, the Complex, uh, the Failsafe Coalition. Now, I mentioned earlier that this game, by Rich Tahoka's own admission, because I saw him at Confusion this weekend, is Bureau 13 from the monster standpoint. Well, yes, in this game, there is a human government-based agency that is designed to hunt the supernatural. They are not secret, though. They are public. They are known as Target Alpha. But because of some bad things happening with PR, they're kind of known as America's ghost chasers. And people look at Target Alpha and they put them in the same realm as the aliens you see on the cover of the Weekly World News. They're like, okay, this is a waste of our tax dollars. Mr. and Mrs. Joe Q. Public are, you know, really, really, these guys are actually, our tax dollars are going for this. So they're kind of a joke. 
public in general just look and they're like laughable at best. No, these guys are serious business. General McAllister is the man's name who runs Target Alpha. He would be your big bad. If you want to try to take out Target Alpha, which trying to take out a government agency, if you're like a vampire biker gang, that whole scope thing comes into issue. But he would be the big bad in that because he is the public face of Target Alpha. So Trav, the big bad in Nightlife is Bureau 13. It would be a very interesting mix even to do that in a Bureau 13 campaign. Uh, let's see, another good big bad. In Nightlife, there is a military unit known as the Nowhere Men. And it is out of Fort Carrington down south. And they are the government's secret yet official all-kin army troop. And there are vampires, werewolves, ghosts, and whatever. And they have a human leading it. I stand corrected. Actually, he is General McAllister. Still the big bad? Are you going to have kin-on-kin action here then? That just sounded wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Kin-on-kin. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. What is it? In West Virginia? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, sorry. We apologize for the people in those states. I'm in Atlanta. We're the city that's too busy to hate. (laughs) (laughs) As we say on Dementia Radio, let's steer the good ship ADD back into Ridland Bay. Let's say you're doing a Nowhere Man campaign. You're all kin soldiers. Your big bad could be the vampire overlord who is running the streets of New York, and you are going in basically on a search-and-destroy mission, and you're having to go through the various minions who are taking homeless people. This game, Nightlife, has a fantastic plethora of choices for big bad, depending on what faction you are in and are going up against. So this game is just full of big bad potential. Nightlife absolutely owned the whole playing a monster before White Wolf came on the scene. The other stellar game that we will be reviewing tonight is Aces Agents and Aces Supers. Now, the background behind this is techno-terrorism started becoming prevalent around the world. And the United Nations decided, okay, we need to do something about it. Because given the internet and the right amount of resources, anyone can do this. Instead of everybody banding together, each country decided to do their own thing. The United States did the Alpha Commandos Echelon. They tried to do it secret. Something happened. And it ended up becoming a bit of a public fiasco until they realized, wait a minute, we can market this. (laughs) There are now Aces Agents comic books and, yes, role-playing games. They try to market this. There are probably kids out playing Aces Agents and their evil counterpart, Python. Ace is Alpha Commando's echelon. Python, the higher-ups in Python to this day still do not have a good acronym. Made it look like an acronym, and they call themselves Python. I read this, and I'm looking, oh, my God, it's like G.I. Joe with a PR agent. Because they all have these code names and these uniforms and they have gadgets and vehicles and they're fighting an evil terrorist organization. And it's a little tongue-in-cheek because the leader of ACES agents is known as General Chaos. This guy is like 90 years old, partly senile, yet he still runs the Alpha Commandos Echelon because there have been no rules made into effect to get this guy out of retirement. And he'll be dotting around going, I left a hand grenade around here somewhere. Uh, Anyways, your big bad in this game would be Python. 
and I, I hate to say this, uh, it's for all intents and purposes, Cobra, an evil terrorist organization bent on ruling the world, you know, and they have high tech weaponry and super science, and they basically are just looking out to take over and gain as much money and power as possible. Now, there is a supplement known as ACEs Supers, where due to a radiation and chemical treatment, you now have superpowers. In the ACEs Agents game, you can choose to be a super. And all it is is now, it's the game at the next level, where ACEs have their agents due to the Omega treatment, and the Python treatment came up with their own. Or you could even play, because let's face it, you know, Things get dumped, they get released in the environment. There's even provisions where you can play a, what, what's the term, a non-affiliated super, where you're just somebody who stumbles upon something, you end up with powers. Now, Python being the big bad, yes, the, these guys are basically your typical, a group of elite criminals with a lot of ambition but not a lot of power, so they improvise. Computer crime and petty theft let them build an organization. They recruit the best and most criminally twisted from the world's terrorist organizations and labs. They build an organization melding sheer power with the bizarre extremes of the human personality. They went public and attracted all sorts of recruits. They are reviled, and if you are a Python, if you are a Python agent, you're expected to do to the whole media thing because Ace and Python is public. There are comic books about it. There are adventures that are written about these battles that take place all around the world. So if you are there as a Python agent, people are supposed to cower at your feet because they're like, oh, crap, we've read about these guys. No. And there is the Python Lord, a shadowy figure who rules Python with an iron fist. He has his shadowy network of informants, surveillance equipment, and his elite Serpent's Strike Guard. He is the big bad in the fact that he lives inside a battle suit that augments his, his basically his strength dex and con, provides armor, life support, and links to all of Python communications. That is about as big and as bad as you can get. So you're going to have this guy, and you know that he is going to be a tough nut to crack. He is going to be, I mean, you're this, this ace agent, or even an ace super, because this guy, his stats, from what I see here, are in while in the suit, are well above... Human, they would be akin to if you were to get the if your character were to get the Omega treatment. So he would be your ultimate big bad in this milieu, this this game universe. If you're playing the Ace Supers, then you give him the the super treatment and then augment him further. Oh yeah. So if you really want to be a jerk to your players, make the Python Lord a super in that battle suit. So it's like ah, we've ripped you out of your battle suit. You can't wait a minute. Why are his eyes glowing? Zot. You know, you get thrown across the room. Or he just beats into a, something resembling a wet prune, you know. <laughs> and of course, the Python Lord has his elite council, and there are commanders and Python agents. They've got some real characters here for Python. Dark Duchess. Imagine a dominatrix with high tech type of weapon. That's my kind of girl. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Deadly, a clown who was on TV, and he was replaced. And so he's insane, and now he is one of these killer clowns, an agent for Python. Rad suit, into radiology and radiation, and he went into Python to get research funds. 
So yeah, he gets to be, you know, world-dominating criminal and gets to do all his neat experiments. Skyjack, imagine a bad version of the Rocketeer. These type of over-the-top villains, you know they're there. You're going to fight them once in a while. They've got a couple platoons of these Python agents at their disposal. And you know if you want to get to the Python Lord, you're going to have to get through these lieutenants, which they're not going to just say, yeah, sure, go ahead. No, 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 no. You ha- you're going to have to fight through them. But once you manage to get through them, then you can get to the Python Lord and destroy him, get him out of the way. Because, like I said, this battle suit that he has, it would be a very powerful suit if you were to put it into any other type of setting. D20, I'm sure I'd be having to pull out D20 Future and really work it over in order to, you know, make this a powerful suit. Aces, supers, I mean, these guys are supposed to be pretty powerful anyways. If you want to add superpowers to them as part of your campaign and just make them that much more, I would first of all suggest a good campaign idea. You are an ace agent. You've signed on, you've got the comic book deal and all this, and you're fighting against these lieutenants. One of these lieutenants ends up getting the Python treatment, which gives him superpowers. You automatically sign up for, okay, I want the Omega treatment. If we're going to fight this guy, it's got to be on an even keel. So you end up getting the Omega treatment. Your character does. So now you're fighting these lieutenants with the same type of powers that they have, fighting fire with fire. That would be a neat campaign. Now, this campaign, I've read it. Yes, it's a stellar game. Yes, Tritech sells it. Personally, me, it's a little too tongue-in-cheek for me. I'm just like, I'm seeing some of this stuff, and it's like, the guy who's running your campaign, your agency, is like 95 years old, senile, and he's losing grenades all the time, and this is our boss. I'm just like, uh. Jace, he says, uh, you know, don't make the game too rough, the players will do it for you. I have a similar thing. Don't make the game too silly, the players will do it for me. I've tried to make serious campaigns, and my players have just, and it ends up being a yuck fest. I'm like, you have to have a sense of humor to play Ace's agents because it is very tongue-in-cheek. You're going to have the Python agent picking up the little kid with the teddy bear going, hey, you move, I'm going to, you know, the kid gets it. You know, it's like, and I'm, and I'm just now remembering Blazing Saddles. <laughs> I will not recite the line here, um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I see this game as very tongue-in-cheek. I mean, come on, they've got a clown that, you know, snapped, and now he wants to make it as miserable as he feels, yeah. Yeah, I've seen some people list it as being uh, G.I. Joe uh, spoof. It is, it is. I, I That was my first thing when I saw it, was it's like G.I. Joe, but instead of military, it's more spy. Because they say it's a super spy game. But yeah, it's G.I. Joe. Everybody has a code name, everybody's got gadgets, everybody has a specialty of... Uh, of expertise. Everybody has a signature move. Yeah, right, exactly. Everybody's got a battle cry. Everybody's got a slogan. Yeah, the big bad here would be Python. I mean, there's no real... It, it's that rigid of a, a campaign setting where pretty much, yeah, Python is the bad guy. You go up against them. You're not going to really be going up against anything else per se. It's the Python fight of the week. So you know who your big bad is. There is no doubt in the world who your big bad is. You just, and you're leading up the hierarchy. You got the agents there, then you got the lieutenants like Mr. Deadly and Radsuit and Dark Duchess. There's a lot of alliteration, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. And then you get to the Python Lord, him, her, or itself. And they even say that they're not sure if 
Python Lord is male, female, alien, whatever. They mm-hmm. just Python Lord. They use he because it, you know, the the typical gender term. Yeah, so those two games are from Stellar Games. They are available at TritacGames.com. Nightlife and its various supplements, and Aces Agents and Aces Supers. In your campaign, one of the main campaign arcs is the big bad. The top villain, the boss, as you would use in video game parlance. And in the various TriTac and Stellar games, you have a wealth of opportunity to find a big bad and have your player characters aspire to finally take him out. Of course, he or she does not make it easy, the, uh, the GM running that character. The GM is going to throw at you whatever resources that this big bad has to try to stop your players. In Bureau 13, it could be a monster or an alien. In Fringeworthy, it could be fringe pirates or somebody on a world or even a Melor. Hardwired Hinterlands, it could be the king that controls the lightning crystals. In Aces Agents, it's Python, the evil terrorist organization. And in Nightlife, you have a multitude of factions that will try to either subjugate humanity or control humanity, or you could even have humans, Target Alpha, or the Nowhere Men, trying to stop you from just trying to live your, well, unlife, so to speak. We hope that with these games and the suggestions we give you, you can find a way to help your players aspire to new heights while trying to protect their world that they, that they live and play and work in. The Big Bad is, is always a very complex concept. It's not generally cut and dry like the G.I. Joe sort of situation. It might be pretty cut and dry, but for the most part, the, um, the Big Bad should have a lot of personality and a lot of development to make him more interesting. To, to make him a worthy foil. It makes it better all around for everybody because then beating him isn't just – it's not like a video game where you mash the button until the bad guy died. It's complex. I mean you may even feel melancholy about killing him. You may even in some ways sympathize with his position. You know, he is kind of right, but we still have to kill him. Yes, like we brought up with Magneto when we were talking before the, the we started reviewing the TriTech games. Yes, the man does a lot of bad things, but he has a reason. He has a history. He has a psychology. But there is a method to his madness, so to speak. Right. And, and you may even agree with him on some level, but it's like, ah, oh, but his methods, I just, we just can't get with his method. It can be that complex. He's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know you've designed a good big bad if your players have de- defeated him and they come to you at the next game session and they say, you know, I don't know if we did the right thing. I, I'm really not sure, you know. It's, it's like I have mixed feelings about what we did to this, you know, what, how that ended. Then you know you've created a really good big bad. I yeah. created a villain years ago for online role-playing, and they kept wanting me to bring him back after they took him out because they enjoyed interacting with that villain because I gave him psychology and methodology. So, yes, Blix right. is correct in that. Make your head complex so he's not just a cardboard cutout some nine to five ham and egg or garden variety villain. Yeah, the reason I've been saying that the big bad should be the cap for your campaign, because if you do it right, once the big bad is gone, then your campaign pales. It, it loses something because he's, he's, he or she or it is no longer there. 
So that's why it should be the final act, the final plot should be the, the final taking down of the big bad. But at the same time, though, like, like you're saying, Bruce, it should be the final. In other words, don't ever let your campaign end without the players taking out the big bad because that leaves just as much as a bad taste in, in the player's mouth as you know taking him out too easy or him being not that important or not that developed because to not finish that guy off is – I don't know. It's just like you feel like you wasted all your time. And again, it's that visceral feeling of after this guy has put you through so much hell, your players just want like his uniform in their hands while they're just throttling the life out of the character because you've given them such a, it, it's not, what is it? It's not the hunt, it's the thrill of the chase. Well, after a while you're going to catch your prey and you're going to want to give them some payback. And that's that player satisfaction. And it's the game master satisfaction that you're giving the players that ability to just finally say, okay, we've been through all this. We're taking them down. And it's just something that mm-hmm. we gamers just enjoy doing after a while. Just like, yes. <laughs> so yes, the big bad is major component of any good role-playing campaign. Create him well, play him well. And hopefully if your players get through everything that the big bad throws at them, beat him well. <laughs> This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. license 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.